Morning, Gateway. I'm Eric Knox. I'm an elder here at Gateway. I started attending Gateway in January of 2001, became an elder in November of 2008. And my wife and my two daughters, Emily and Alicia, have been coming to Gateway for quite a while. And I'm Phil Salee. I'm also an elder here at Gateway. You know, we've been coming here since 2004, so that's about 14 years. And I've been an elder for four years. My wife, Tricia, and I have four children that are all 10 Gateway, and we're happy to be here. And Phil and I are pinch-hitting a little bit today for Ed, and we, we selected a format that is somewhat conversational because neither of us have felt called to be a pastor or a, a preacher, and so we don't want to try to resemble that this morning, but we're going to try to lead a, a, a conversation on Christian leadership today. And the, the verse that we have is Matthew 20, 20 through 28. And so if, if you would, let's go old school this morning and stand out of reverence for God's word. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together. God, we want to honor you. And we want to honor you in the way that you have called us to be leaders. Thank you for sending your son to be our example. I ask you to speak through these words today that we're sharing this, this passage. Pray for the spirit of the living God. We want to hear your voice is the only one we want to hear as we sing. And I pray that this would be applicable to our lives and that we could recognize your direction in our lives. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Phil, describe the scene of when Jesus was meeting with James and John and his mother made this request. So we see here what might be a, a request on the basis of nepotism. It might be a request. It seems an audacious request, but scholars think that this mother of the James and John might have been Mary's sister. This might have been Actually, James and John might have been first cousins of, of Jesus. And so that's possibly what's going on here. So they might be saying, hey, you know, this is your family. You know, make sure that they get some important positions. Uh, in any case, we, we know that the, the other disciples didn't take kindly to that. And, but before we judge too harshly, you know, we, we sort of see this in our world today as well. We might have been asked to give a recommendation for brother or for cousin. And we know it's sort of kind of one of the, the phrases we hear, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. A lot of times having the right connections is what makes a difference to get a certain position. 
So that might be what's going on here. In any case, that Jesus is taking the opportunity. He, he addresses them, and it's not just the mother coming to Jesus. He, he uses the plural form of you when he says, what do you want, and are you prepared to drink the cup? He's talking to James and John as well, at least, if not primarily. So this is something that they are all coming, and he uses it to point out that this isn't the way that he sees leadership works. We believe that Jesus is the greatest leader to have ever lived, and he formed the, arguably the greatest organization, the church, the, uh, in the history of the world. So this is a great passage there where Jesus lays out after he brings the other disciples in who are upset, understandably, and to, to sort of explain some fundamental truths about leadership that we're going to unpack today. Mm -hmm. and, and we also know this wasn't the first time that the disciples had been in a dispute and Jesus had to settle a dispute amongst the disciples. And he uses this as a moment to instruct them. And he lays out three keys to leadership that, that we believe, you know, not only apply to the church, but apply to us at home and apply to us in our workplace or in our business. Yeah, that's right. They were arguing previously about who would be the greatest, and he pointed them to, at that time, to the children to say, if you want to be leaders, you need to be like a little child. But clearly they didn't completely get it. So the first principle that we see here, verse 23, he points out he submits to the Father in this. He's like, this isn't even my decision. This is something that's prepared by my Father. This isn't something to, that you get to choose or I get to choose. God anoints us and appoints us to points of leadership. It's God who has prepared these positions for certain people. And I think that this is a truth that we can apply generally. We want to unpack these not just for church leadership, not just for maybe business leadership, but also leadership in our home and all facets of life we're going to talk about. Because all of you are probably leaders in some capacities. You all have some level of influence over, with, with someone. You, you may be mentors. You may be leading within the context of a team, leading from, be able to lead from behind and have some influence. You may have people under you. you we all have leaders in our lives to be able to use some of this. So, you know, we see this kind of appointment, and I think one verse that came to mind for me this morning, actually, was in Ephesians 2, where it says that we have been created in, in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared for us a path. We don't have to go and, like, you know, the world thinks we have to go find our, our career path and we have to go find that plan that we're going to work in order to get ahead and have success. God's prepared that. We believe that God orchestrates events. We believe that all of you are not here by accident. We believe that God uses these events in our lives and that we should seek that. And we do believe that God appoints people into positions of leadership. And, and sometimes it looks like Ed tapping somebody on the shoulder and saying, would you lead this effort. And, and other times, and we thought of an example here in our church, years ago we had a man in church who was in crisis. And Ed asked a couple of men to go and would you just kind of meet with him, pray with him, see you know, if you can serve him in some way and, and help him out. And he tapped Tom Jan Zacharias and Tom Bellino. Tom was one of our elders here for many years who sadly passed away back in March. But Tom and Jan went with a heart of service to, to minister to this guy, just to meet with him, talk to him, see if he could help him. Well, several weeks later, when Ed followed up with them, he said, did y'all ever go meet with this guy? And they said, well, yeah, we're meeting with him every week. 
And, and over time, you know, this turned into Gateway Men's Group, which is now actually two groups, but more than 50 men in this group have, have been served by leaders who were initially tapped on the shoulder to serve. If that's not God's appointment of two people who are asked to serve something that be, literally became leaders of men in this group, I, I don't know of a better example. That's right. I know personally for myself, talked about sometimes that taps you on the shoulder. That happened for me for, for eldership. It was not something I was aspiring to do. And it was something that, um, in fact, I was not too sure about. I, I grew up in a Christian home. My father was an elder. So I got to see firsthand kind of what kind of burden that can actually be. And, and he led willingly in that. But I could see that there were long nights of, you know, and meetings, things that would go on. And, and I wouldn't know all the details. He didn't need him to do, divulge things. But I knew that he was, you know, he, there was a lot of prayer and, and time spent. And that that was a position not really of power and prestige, but one of service and one where you're carrying, you know, a lot of the burdens of the church. And, you know, I told Ed, I don't know that that's what I'm called to do. So part of me, I was, I was you know, before I would want to do that, I'd want to have it all together. I kind of learned that there's never going to be a point where we're, we really have it all together. So that's, and the other part was sort of selfish. It's like, that sounds like a lot of work. And I don't necessarily want that burden. But what I said was, before taking on a position of, of authority, I feel like I really, really need to pray about that and have clear direction from God. So I'm thinking, that'll be my out. I won't get that clear direction from God. I'll be scot-free. But uh, that isn't the way it worked out because God had other plans. And, and through prayer and being honest with God, he uh, used some situations and answers to prayer to be pretty specific that, yes, God did want me to do that. So then I was like, okay, now great. So, But I have been glad to serve in that, and that's been something that I can tell God's been in. But that's sort of my personal story of becoming an elder. And also in my home, I can tell that we can sort of take this principle is to pray over our decisions. We need to recognize God as the leader of our home and, and consider, okay, are our goals God's goals? And one way to do that is to, as a couple, and it's always worked out better for us. I can see God working. I can see, you know, that we, in our relationship, we do better when we spend time together as a couple praying together before going to work, praying together over decisions. And when we haven't done that, we've reaped the, some negative consequences from that in our relationship with each other and uh, not necessarily always making the wisest decisions. So I think prayer can be a, an important part of recognizing God's direction. Mm -hmm. and, and I think sometimes that desire to seek God and prayer at home and seeking God's goals also transcends over into the workplace. I remember about 25 years ago this month, Linda and I were planning to close on a house that we were a month or so away from having, maybe two months away from having a baby and our first um, daughter. And I was in a job that was making me miserable. At, you know, 32 years old, I was working and I would come home and I would just bring my work and the baggage from work home with me, my discontent, and I would, you know, dump it at Linda's feet. And it was not a good situation for us. So in one of my early attempts as a husband to step out and be a Christian leader in the home, I told Linda, I said, well, you know, I think we need to pray about this together. And she says, well, okay. And so we prayed about it together. And I was very specific in my prayer that, you know, Lord, I can be stubborn and deaf to your word sometimes. You know, please 
If you want me to stick it out and make it work here in this job, let me know. If you want me to leave, let me know that too. But at the same time, I've got this family I need to support. I need a job. So if it's clear you want me to make a change, make it clear to me. I need a solid sign that without a doubt is your word. So that was Sunday night. Monday morning, I went to work. We had a staff meeting. The chief of staff after the meeting goes, can I see you for a minute in my office? I'm like, sure. So we go in there and he basically said, look, you and I don't get along and I'm not leaving. I need you to find something else to do. So that was a pretty clear indication <laughs> that I needed to leave that job. Yeah, I don't know if that's gonna encourage people to pray. Well, it should. <laughs> but let me tell you the end result. So Linda and I commuted in to work in those days and I picked her up at her work and I said, well, I'm driving along like nothing big. But I said, you know, our prayers were answered and she goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I got fired today. But the, the end result is, Within a month or, or so, I had a job literally fall out of the sky, hit me in the lap that was more money, better job, better position, working with great people that truly set my career path on a different trajectory. This was not with an organization that I would have looked for, doing something I would have not have looked to do that, that really made a difference in my life because God had an appointment for me that wasn't something I would have ever picked. He did answer the prayers. And as the mother of James and John, or, you know, or he's, he told the mother, he's like, you don't know what you're asking. Well, and James and John as well. You don't know what you're asking. And I think that that, you know, that kind of exemplifies that. It's like a lot of times we, as we pray, we don't know what we're asking for. A lot of times we come to God, oh, we, I, I want this, I want this, help me here. And, and he may be saying, you know, you really don't know what you're asking for. This is not what's good for you. And he knows what's better for us. And we have to trust but he did tell them, he said, you will indeed drink from my cup. And, you know, today, I mean, he was close to James and John. He loved them. I mean, today, I mean, I don't. Do any of you just let anybody drink from your cup? It's got to be somebody you're close to. I really like that point. I, and, you know, you think about it. If you're serving God and he leads you down a path that's difficult and challenging, you think about it, you're drinking from his cup, but he will lift you up. He will be there with you. And you're drinking out of his cup. That's a personal thing, right? He's sharing with you and, and both his sorrow and in joy, which, you know, I think that leads us to our second point. If we look in verse 25 and 26, we see how he talks about, in contrast to the rulers of the Gentiles, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, those around them, lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, but it shouldn't be so with you. True Christian leadership is characterized by humility. It's not self-promoting. And a lot of times we, we sort of see it, especially our culture around us, leadership, it, it, it lords it over. It, it uses it as for a position of advantage. And we've all probably had situations where we've had leaders that, that lorded it over us. And that's not what God's calling us to do. What does that look like at Gateway? And I think that, you know, at Gateway, we have a lot of people serving. We have a lot of people leading in our teams out of a position of humility, and it's great to see that. We, we do. In, in Northern Virginia and at Gateway, we have a lot of people who are very successful, who are highly educated, who are highly skilled, who do a lot of things. And some of the things that we get asked to do and ask people to do are not CEO-type jobs. You know, we might ask you to you know, help out in the kitchen or mop the floor or, or just do whatever needs to be done. And these are, you know, kind of menial tasks. And so that's the humbleness, I think, that's exhibited 
day in and day out here at Gateway. And I think it's the humbleness that God calls us to. And, you know, and I know there's been times when I've been asked to do something, and I'm like, I really don't want to do that. Because our pride gets in the way. And so I think we have to humble ourselves before God because that's, that's what Jesus calls us to do. Yeah, are we willing to take whatever job is needed, the job that God puts in front of us, the, the opportunity to serve? Sometimes we might be tempted to make an excuse, oh, that's not my calling or my area of strength. Well, let's take that to God and pray about it. You know, maybe this is something that God's wanting us to grow in. And in some cases, like, whose calling is it really to mop the floors? It's just something that, that needs to be done, and sometimes God's just asking us to step forward. At home, I know that it's a real challenge to grow in the area of humility for me. This is a sort of, I think, a, a training ground for us in life that we, more than any other place, I think, it's conceived where pride is, gets in the way of my ability to relate to Tricia uh, in the right way. Sometimes early on, we established sort of a rule because we have four kids at times there were certain points where we would feel exasperated and we might not even recognize how emotional we were getting in our reactions and, and we might need the other person to step in and so being able to work together as a team but that takes humility it takes being able to lay down our pride especially when you know we've agreed to do this and then I'm thinking okay great that'll be great for when I see Trisha gonna going off and then it's like it comes back to me right she's like hey honey I think you need to, to take a break I'll, I'll step in for a little bit and to have the humility and not get all defensive. Oh, now I've got it all under control. Oh, wait, I said I would, you know. You know, I'm really fine, really, you know, but, but we need to be able to, to be humble and work together. And that teamwork is, I think, critical in a marriage and in a family to, as Ed puts it, we need to be able to be quick to the, defend the other person, put on that. Uh, instead of, by nature, we're always quick to defend ourselves. Are we able to put aside our pride and defend the other person and to consider um, what they need? Mm -hmm. You had an example of this too. With yeah, I, I know in our household, I'm, I'm more of the do it now, action oriented, address an issue right now. You know, what I describe sometimes is, is ready, fire, aim. But I'm well balanced with my wife who has the gift of making Eric humble. And I think that some of my true successes in, in my marriage and as a parent have been where we have, you know, tried to focus on serving each other and, and serving our, our daughters. I know the times that Linda's interrupted me or, or, you know, gently said, hey, I think they would respond better to this or maybe they would respond better to that. And where it, it's not just my natural inclination to jump in and drive something. And I think that's been where we've had, you know, greater success. And I've had greater success in trying to lead our family as when we've We've worked well together and, and humbled ourselves to each other before God. We also, I think, then benefit from this principle at work. And this is something that um, we may not realize how much this affects our ability to be good leaders in the workplace mm -hmm. or to respond to our leaders in the workplace. And just even in the planning out, setting the tone for how we pursue things at work, opportunities, I know that when I've tried to make things happen, it hasn't really necessarily always worked out, but then I'll see how I can look back and how God has orchestrated certain events to all of a sudden bring me an opportunity. The reason that I'm out here in Virginia is because of this opportunity. It was clearly something God provided, and all of a sudden he used that. And I think there's this, this principle of being able to allow him to raise us up instead of us sort of striving to work our way up the ladder and to pursuing these things, not that we necessarily shouldn't 
do a good job at work or try to plan out at all. But I think there's a principle and one of the uh, passages that I think points to this is in Luke 14. We have this parable where Jesus talks about a feast and different uh, positions that you might sit down at the table related to your prestige and how well you knew the host and so forth. And that was a big deal in those days. And he says, sit down at the lesser seat, sit down at the, the one at the end that no one would want, and then have the host say, come on up, rather than suffer the embarrassment of sitting at too high and then having someone come that's a little, a little more important and then having the host have to you know, tell you to, to sit down at a lower one. And I think the principle there is that we don't have to strive to make even our business happen. This is something that we can uh, rely on God to honor us. We can allow others to recognize us. If we go to try to recognize ourselves or promote ourselves, a lot of time that's going to, to work against us. And it's not the way that God wants us to represent. And, and as we talked about this, the question came up, well, if we're supposed to be humble and practice humility, well, is it okay to seek a promotion? And I think, you know, we came up with the, the answer is, well, it, it's natural as you, you know, move through your career that you get more experience, you get wiser, you get better at things. And, and sometimes people within your organization will say, hey, I think you're ready for more responsibility. We've got a promotion for you. Sometimes other companies approach you and offer you things. And then sometimes you see an opportunity and is it humble to seek that opportunity? And, and we talked about the fact that we believe it is if your heart's in the right place. Yeah, I think it has that. a lot to do with the motivation, right? So, yeah. but we need to be kind of thinking about the, the focus of what, what is it that we're really wanting in that? I mean, are we motivated by greed or is it motivation by, you know, wanting to have a powerful position or just, just be successful and move up the, the, the ladder? Or is there the motivation to serve God and this is a means to shine for him and to provide for our families and this is something that God's providing and I think we have to take that to God, right? And we thought if, if, if your heart in this is, well, you know, I'm going to get my coworkers back because I'm going to become the boss of them, you're probably not in the right place. <laughs> So I found it interesting in researching this is that humility is actually recognized as a powerful, important trait of leaders in the workplace. Jim Collins, who authored Good to Great, many of you may have read his books, not from a Christian's perspective necessarily, just set out to ask the question, do the research, what makes really good businesses great? What's the differentiators between these businesses that have hugely successful and those that, that have petered out or, or just been mediocre? And after compiling all of this research and looking at it from just an analytical point of view, from a uh, uh, commercial perspective, he identified, of course, leadership is a, is a key differentiator, having good leaders, and, and boiling down the types of leaders that you want and looking at all the data. One of the two characteristics that, of all the characteristics of leaders that, that might be important, what he calls a level five leader, is this top leader. And one of the, the primary characteristics is humility. And I found that interesting. Of course, it does make sense. These are principles that are general and are timeless, but even the workplace is valuing humility as a, an important characteristic of leaders. And through, from that humility, I think God calls us to service. Yeah, humility, the, service, they go hand in hand, yeah. right? Yeah, they do. So in verse 26, we see, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. So that's certainly not what they were probably expecting to hear. It's counterculture. It's counter sin nature. It's certainly still not 
you know, probably a popular concept any more than it was then. But we see that it's also been recognized as what true leadership really is. It's enabling other people to succeed. It is, a, is an act of service. And I found it interesting what the, the words here he used here, servant. Uh, the Greek word there that he uses is diakonos, uh, which is uh, the word we, we get deacon from. We have deacons in our church. There are small group leaders. There are team leads. They're the ones that are on the front line serving. And then if you want to be the first, if you really want to be great, then you need to go to even, he really drives the point home. You need to be a slave. The slave, the word for slave he used there is, is doulos. It's a bond servant. It's someone who sold themselves into slavery. And, and at Gateway, if you'd look at anyone who is a team leader or an, a deacon or an elder, a small group leader, they're people who have served for usually a period of years here at Gateway because we have a saying, we serve our way into leadership. And it comes from this you know, passage of scripture that we take that. So, It's a pattern that we expect our leaders to be serving. And I think that's, it's, it's also something that we need to be doing in our home. And the, the Bible teaches in Ephesians that we, as husbands, uh, are to lay down our lives for our wife. A lot of times I think the husbands get the idea, well, I'm going to be the, the spiritual leader of the home or I have to be the, the leader of my home. I need to sort of make all the decisions. I'm the one in control, I have, you know, and it's sort of this position of domination. This isn't the kind of leadership that God's calling us to. Laying down our lives for our wives, the illustration that he gives for that is Jesus laying down his life. So being a leader in our home is to consider the needs of our wife, our children first before our own needs and laying down what maybe what we would actually often what we would prefer. And that's a very different kind of leadership than we, we might see around us. And, you know, as, as parents of, of, of children, it's our job to teach them how to make their way in the world. And one of the ways we do that from the time they're very young is giving them chores and working alongside with them and teaching them to do chores. And I know that when, when our girls were younger, one of the memories I have is we would have them help us set the table at night before dinner. And when they were young, they got it and they wanted to do that. And when they become teenagers, anything can happen with that. But that's how we teach them to be leaders is these foundational steps of teaching them to work and serve in the home. And I know, you know, early on, we used to come to church and, and Lynn and I worked on setup for about 10 straight years. And, and there were times when our kids really didn't like coming to church that early because they liked to sleep. But we'd bring them and have them do setup with us. You know, and most of the time they did it joyfully. So if you're a parent, you're appointed, you're a leader, you're a leader of your children. And I know that a lot of parents probably feel like they're slaves to their child sometimes. But that doesn't mean that we necessarily have them in control. And I think that's a good, important point. We can teach them service. That's part of our leadership, that to be able to teach them to serve. And we can invite them to serve alongside us. And that can be a very powerful teaching experience. In business, we see sort of this idea of servant leadership, you know, gets sort of reinvented and, and talked about often in corporate seminars and so forth. We, we see it. In, this is this Christ was the initial clear servant leader that has taught us by example, and we've had this for, for thousands of years, but it is effective as well as a working principle for us. And one of the ways that we can think of this, or that helps me, is a lot of good bosses and managers, but in that case, and as well as when have had, you know, in situations where we haven't 
been in as good a situation, either way, you have this principle that you were really serving Jesus. In Colossians 3.23, it says, it is the Lord Christ we are serving. Uh, and he's talking about serving your earthly master as well. And if we keep in mind our true employer is Jesus Christ, I think that's helpful. There's also this interesting quote here, that, and, and uh, others in the corporate world have talked about this idea of, of servant leadership. I know I've, I've thrived and done better in my job when I've had a, a manager or a boss who has said, what do you need? Anything you need? Let me know if you need anything. If you go and ask them for help and they step alongside you and help, I've thrived better. And I feel like when I've managed and led people and, and managed teams, that when I've exhibited those behaviors, I've got more performance out of them. I ran across a, a really, I thought, interesting and applicable quote in preparing for this. And it's from a guy named Max Dupree, who was CEO of Herman Miller for many years and a member of the Fortune Hall of Fame. And he wrote a book called Leadership is an Art. And this quote comes from that book. The first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. In between the two, the leader must become a servant and a debtor. That sums up the progress of an artful leader. And I felt that was exactly right. And in time and time again, you know, as, as I've gone through some management and leadership trainings, and leadership and management are two different things, but in leadership development course after leadership development course, without quoting the Bible and giving credit to the scriptures or to Jesus, these principles are oftentimes taught in business classes and leadership development classes. We don't always know what God wants to do. Th this doesn't mean that the CEO of a company needs to go out and mop the floor once a month, nor that you know, a worker can cite the fact that I, I was helping somebody else as a reason for not doing your job. But what it does mean is that we do our work with the aim of serving our customers, our fellow workers, our co-workers, our shareholders, and others with whom we intertwine our lives in the workplace. If you're working to serve, you'll be working to succeed. That's a good point. And, you know, it goes beyond, too, just succeeding in business. We don't always know what God is using in our workplace to be able to build a connection with someone or to ultimately share our faith with them. I'm reminded of a person that... I was a team lead on a project, and I was just continually butting heads with a coworker. And then at, at a point, needed to step back for personal reasons, for health issues. Uh, I realized, okay, this is becoming too much of a strain, and I need to step back. And I asked my boss to actually make sit him as the one that should take over the project, which, you know, that took a little bit of, okay, I, I'm going to trust that this is going to work out. But through that, I just felt God would want me to do that. And, and it, through that, we ended up with a very good working relationship later and had opportunities to connect with him in a way that I probably wouldn't have otherwise even talk about my faith with him. And so when we live out of these principles, we can have more influence and God can use these things in ways that we might not even imagine. So in conclusion, you know, this is the, if you miss everything else. Don't miss this. <laughs> as Ed would put it. What's our example is... Jesus says is the way that he gave his life up for us. He died on the cross for us. He was willing to lay down everything for us. And, and as you pointed out, he, he still serves us, right? Yeah. He's, he's at the right hand of the Father as our intercessor today. So, you know, Jesus who came 
and served and laid down his life for all of us is still in heaven serving us today. So leadership, uh, true leadership, it's serving others and following Christ. So we're up here with a conversation. We'd like to continue that conversation after the service. If any of you feel from this, you've had laid on your heart maybe to serve more in a different position at Gateway or seek leadership, we'd love to talk to you more. Or maybe God's just pressing on your heart and want you, you need to pray for direction in your family or in your life. And those people that are going to be up here to pray, we'll be happy to talk to you and pray with you. And so I'd just like to invite you to that as we conclude. And Eric, would you pray for us as the worship team is going to come up? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come to your house today and join together in corporate worship. We thank you for the lesson in the scripture that teaches us about servant leadership. Lord, help us to take this message to heart as we go out into our homes and workplaces this week that we will be mindful of your call on us to serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll sing a song. We'll end our service today. If you'd stand with us. Your glorious cause. Your glorious